Politics is the working of government. In essence, working for what is good for all people. However, what we often see today, even within Christianity, is politics. The manipulating of people for partisan ideological power. Politics does not represent the people at large. It represents a select few who seek to control everyone else. Politics is the governance for the good of the people, a good government. A good leader should allow for the betterment and balance of society. And all good leaders know how to manage politics. Jesus was the perfect leader. Knowing full well the power aspirations of his disciples, he was able to balance them out, teach them well, and leave behind a legacy that continues. John Haywood said it well, many hands make light work. True power is passed and shared and grows well because of that experience. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. Sabbath School U, a weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. I'm Brendan Albury, and this is Sabbath School University. I want to welcome our panel participants uh, for this discussion. I want to ask you guys, what's your name, and tell me what you're studying. Okay, my name is Guilherme Borda, and I study theology at Andrews University. Wonderful. My name is Kara John Siren Thomas. I'm studying social work at Andrews University. Wonderful. And my name is Ty Davis, and I'm studying uh, for my Master's of Divinity at the Adventist Theological Seminary. Great, great. Guys, welcome. Uh, the discussion for the, today's panel is discipling the powerful. But before we begin, I'm going to ask Ty if you may be able to pray for us, and after which... Kavajan, can you please read the scripture text? Sure. Liebe Gott, ich danke dir, dass wir hier zusammen sein können, die Bibel zu studieren. God, I thank you that we can be here together to study the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Hmm. Wow. First question. I hope you guys are ready. How would you define power? I think there's a lot of different, different definitions for power. Uh, but when I think of, of somebody who is powerful, mm -hmm. um, I think of somebody who is able to influence people. Of course. Somebody who has um, the ability to make something happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's different dimensions of power you can also have. You have strength, physical strength, also knowledge. Um, authority, but then wisdom, because some people have authority, but they don't have wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then you have also ownership. And that's, uh, for example, one of the characteristics of God's power. He owns everything. The earth is His and the universe is His. Okay, that's excellent. So let's do an exercise. When I say power, give me one word that comes to mind. <laughs> Just one word. If you can come up with one. 
abuse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fine. Yeah, you, I said one word. Strength. Strength. Electricity. Electricity. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, Webster Dictionary defines uh, power as the ability or capacity to perform or act effectively. And, uh, you know, that brings me to the next question. Why do you think most of the powerful leaders of the temple refused Jesus? Well, power is, um, can be a very selfish, it can become a very selfish thing. And Jesus always wanted to help people, but leaders thought he was taking over. And of course, any person in power, the leaders in that time, thought that he was going to take over. So they had a big problem with that, and they refused him because they didn't want anybody taking their place. Hmm. They had different motives. They had different heart and different goals. Mm -hmm. They had different methods, uh, different strategies. So then when you have so many conflicts, uh, because Jesus had power and authority, and people could see that. Mm -hmm. But he had different motives, and, he, and, and his heart, his character was completely different, and his goals uh, were completely different. He had the goal to establish a kingdom in people's hearts, change their, their hearts, and, and win them to God and save them. But the, uh, some of the people over there, they expected that Jesus would actually um, expel the Romans, and now Israel would become a great nation again, and even greater, and would dominate around but uh, this was not his plan. Hmm. When I think of Jesus' interaction with the with the temple leaders and all this, uh, all these kind of kinds of folks, the rabbis and so on, I just imagine, uh, say, the president uh, of Andrews University is dealing maybe with with some big struggle with the with the politics of the university that's going on. And what if some little kid came up to him and was <laughs> like, "Dude, you, you got it all wrong, man." you've missed out on what you know the bylaws of the university say and you haven't read that thoroughly and you don't understand the the handbook of how you know you know, the university works I don't think if I were the president that I would really appreciate that and that's exactly what Jesus did when he was 12 years old you know he went and he debated the scriptures with the guys who were supposed to know everything about the scriptures yeah. and my guess is that probably held a grudge against Jesus as he grew up and of course the older he got, the more outspoken he became on, on his understandings of God mm -hmm. and of the scriptures. It didn't go over well. And uh, I guess if I had been in, in those uh, rabbis' position, uh, I, this isn't right of me, but I probably wouldn't have liked Jesus very much either. You know, when you <laughs> think about putting yourself in, in, in those guys' shoes, right. not, a, not a very pleasant place to be in when a little kid is telling you you're wrong well, and you're the rabbi. Yeah. It, even today, many people struggle with the idea that God is powerful and that He has authority and that He basically He's God. Mm -hmm. Many people struggle with that fact. I think that one of the ways to understand that and to have a better relationship with that is to actually have a relationship with God. Yes. Get to know Him. Yes. Mm -hmm. If they had prepared their hearts to receive the Messiah, they would have accepted Him. Yeah. But because their hearts were not ready, they were hardened, they didn't accept Him. Yeah, actually made a great point because I wanted to differentiate, you know, power or let's just say leadership because with the priest, the Pharisees, they had positional leadership while Christ had influential leadership. And I believe the workings of the Holy Spirit is all based on the influence upon our hearts. And, and that's the true essence of uh, Jesus' ministry. He was influential, not by what he not just basically did, but he practiced what he preached. 
He didn't need a position, but he was influential. And that would bother anyone who, of course, they went through a mainstream of obtaining credentials. Mm. You know, just imagine a lawyer, okay, deciding to run for an office and a guy, just a regular old farmer, but he has influence in the state of Indiana or Kentucky or wherever. But because he's so influential, without the degree, he's able to impact the people. I'm sure the, the lawyer would have a problem as well. They use the phrase, I think, he wins the heart of the people. That's right. Like, who cares if you know the law if you got the heart? That's great. That, yeah. This is awesome, you know, when you think about uh, this uh, passage, this scripture. So I want to ask, how would you contrast uh, that with the Roman centurion in Luke 7? What is the difference here? I think one big difference is that the centurion had faith in Jesus. Hmm. And faith is different than recognizing somebody, uh, uh, God's identity. Because some of the leaders, they may have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, but that doesn't mean they had faith. Because faith leads to obedience, faith leads to allegiance, leads just, uh, to being submissive. Hmm. But also that centurion was willing to humble himself. Mm-hmm. And, and he was sincere. He recognized he wasn't worthy. He, he didn't even invite Jesus to come to his house because he felt he was unworthy to have Jesus under his roof. Mm. I mean, talk about humbleness. And this was a person that had power, that had position, that, that was a leader. Yeah. And he believed and he was willing to ask for a miracle, not only to test Jesus, but sincerely because he cared for his servant and he wanted his servant to be healed. Yeah. So it's a great difference there. You know what I, I love and I still love about Jesus, he meets you where you're at. He never talks at you, but he talks to you. Mm-hmm. And he can move in all circles. Now, God was so intelligent to send a son, Jesus Christ, to be a great leader because he knew when he had to be what he needed to be in different groups, in different societies. I mean, when he was in Judea, like they did in Rome, Jesus did in Rome. And he was prepared to meet people where they were at. He never talked down to them. And he's prepared to engage in intellectual conversations. And I think that's power. But it's a difference between abusing the power. It's actually knowing how to use the power for good. And that's politics and our politics. And uh, I just love that about Jesus. Because even with the centurion, you know, Jesus probably could have buffed himself up kept his guard up and used the knowledge that he knew about the law against the centurion. But he humbled himself. He humbled himself, and I believe it was one of the most attractive, appealing aspects of Jesus for the centurion uh, to really connect with Jesus Christ because he didn't exemplify this power. Even when we see Jesus relinquishing his power right before he's being crucified, I mean, that takes skill. That takes, that takes something else. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I, I was sitting in a class today and uh, Dr. Peterson was telling us about the greatest in the kingdom of God being the one who actually serves. Yes. And that, well, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? It's God. It's God. Yeah. So by that definition, God serves. serves. Jesus came to serve and show how power is tied with service. Hmm. You have power, then you serve powerfully. Yes. You, you don't abuse powerfully. Yes. We often think about people who are leaders, uh, CEOs of big companies, and they're the powerful people. You know, they wear the power ties and they got the power <laughs> look at you or whatever, you know. Right. And, and we equate that with power. But one of my favorite leadership authors is John Maxwell. Maxwell. And, and of course, you know, John Maxwell and a lot of other leadership authors today are talking about this idea of servant leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And, and John is very unashamedly a Christian. And, and he tries to be careful how he ties that in because he knows he's talking to a lot of secular CEOs. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but as a Christian, when I read his stuff, I'm like, wow, you know, he's taking that straight from the Bible, you know, this idea of following the example of Jesus mm-hmm. in being a leader. And it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, that is where true power lies. Uh, and it's not the, the power tie or the power look kind of power, but, it, but it's a, a power that comes through the, through the power of, of God, really, is, is, yeah. what it, is what it comes through. Mm-hmm. And that's so perfectly exemplified in I, Jesus. Yes, yes. Oh, we're going to come there. I'm glad you touched John C. <laughs> Maxwell because, you know, a lot of people use him as a, a reference for leadership. Absolutely. But I believe the best model for leadership is Jesus Christ. Yep. And we see a clear. And John and, gets that, I think. I, yeah, and he does. He, he really does. So, <laughs> don't want to get stuck there. I, then I want to ask you guys, how should a Christian relate to leadership both within the church and outside the church? Since, since you brought it up. <laughs> well, we'll talk about Jesus and leadership outside of the church maybe first, you know. And, yeah. um, you know, one of the big areas of leadership that, that we deal with on a eh, pretty regular basis, probably every day, is our government. <laughs> Mm. And, and maybe the issue of taxes is one of those. And, of course, that's one that we hear about a lot. You know, and frankly, I don't really care for paying taxes that much. You know, when it comes to April, I'm just like, oh, goodness, all this paperwork again, you know, and they're taking my money. And maybe I don't agree with some of the ways that the government spends it. But it's really interesting because when we're dealing with leadership outside of the church, the government right. in particular, yeah. uh, Jesus has some pretty uh pretty strong words about how we should deal with the government. In Romans chapter 13, um, Paul echoes the words of Jesus, kind of. And he talks to us about submitting to authority. Mm. It's not an easy thing to do. And one of the first, one of the first individuals that I think of when I think, to, uh, when I think about submitting to governmental authority is Socrates. Mm. Um, you know, and, and Socrates really tried to fight against the political system of his day in, mm. in Greece. And he was imprisoned for it. And a lot of people thought it was a wrongful imprisonment. And so his friend, I think his name was Crito, you know, comes around and he says, dude, I've got this plan. You can get out of jail. You're going to escape your execution. And you can be out of here. And even though Socrates believed that he had been jailed and was committed to be executed wrongfully, he said, no, I live in the nation of Greece. I fall under Greek law. Mm-hmm. Greek law and a Greek jury found me guilty. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. That's how it's going to work out. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting position to take. Mm-hmm. And I'm an American citizen. I live here. I've got to pay taxes. That's just <laughs> how it works. Yeah. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do and what Paul tells us to do. You know, Jesus says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Yeah. Pay your taxes when you're supposed to pay your taxes and give to God what is God's. Yes. Yes. Wow. There, there's another point that I would like to add. When you're, you're dealing with government or whatever kind of, uh, maybe your boss in your job or whatever, um, there's another thing that always your obedience to God takes priority. Absolutely. Yes. You know, so many times... Uh, your government, uh, your, the company you work at, or the, the rules of your school, or whatever, they, they will be good rules. Many of them are good rules. But that may be that they come up with rules that are bad. You see that, for example, in the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel's friends, they were there, and now you have to bow down to the image. But they, no, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And they were thrown into the, that furnace, but God protected them. And the point is, our, 
our identity is rooted in God, our allegiance is in God, mm -hmm. and then our obedience is in God. Yes. Ultimately. So there is a fine line. Mm -hmm. You just need to know when to cross it or not cross it. And I think it's the same both outside of the church with governments or schools or business mm -hmm. or whatever, and within the church. And Jesus dealt with, with authority uh, in his church system, we might want to say, you know, the religious system of, of Judaism. And, and uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 12, we see a really specific story, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, where Jesus was walking through the grain fields with his disciples. Mm. And it was on the Sabbath, Sabbath day. Yeah, ooh, you yeah. better be careful. I mean, even walking was probably pushing the limits right That's there. Right. Um, but the disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they looked to Jesus and they said, Look, your disciples are breaking the law on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you're all, you know, such a great religious leader, but you're letting them do this. And, you know, that was one of the times when it was not right for Jesus to just be like, oh, authority has spoken. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and back off. And at this point in time, Jesus realizes that there's a, a moral issue, an ethical issue that he's got to deal with. And it's really on a theological level. And he, and he replies to them in a way, and, and you know, we, can, we can read that later maybe on our own instead of reading it all right now in verse 3. But he basically shares a story and says, listen, Based on scripture, based on a guy, David, who was a guy after God's own heart, what we're doing isn't breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus drew a line with the authorities there because the authorities were, like you said, mm -hmm. saying something wrong. Mm. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that, is that it's really important to understand that when an authority is telling you to do something that, that doesn't go contrary to scripture, yeah. You do it. And yeah. if you don't like it, go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, is I guess one way to look at it. Um, and it works both that way in the church and outside of the church. We can give an example, a very clear and uh, kind of extreme example. You are in a church and now they're going to decide what's going to be the color of the carpet. Everybody says blue, but you went red. Hmm. I mean, but you are the treasure. You're the guy who's going to write the check. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you can kind of say, you know, they want, they want uh, blue, but I'm going to sign the check and buy a red one. That's abuse of power. Or you can be submissive and say, my brothers and sisters decided for that one. That's okay. That's not the one I want. Mm. There's no moral issue here. It's just preference. And there's no problem. I'll do whatever we decided collectively. But there's, imagine now the church says, okay, we want to change this doctrine here because... Mm. We are not comfortable with it, although it is in the Bible. But, you know, we just don't want to follow it. We, you know, it is, the Bible is too countercultural. You shouldn't, you shouldn't abide to that counsel. You should be faithful to the, to the Bible, even if the church says something. Because the church is to follow God, and we follow Jesus. Yeah. So He is our leader. Okay. And, uh, of course, we, 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 as a church, want to follow Christ. But if our brothers and sisters are doing something that is not a, according to God's will, I would not do the same. Hmm. And I think it's really interesting the stance that early Adventists and many Christians, uh, you know, in the in the mid 1800s, they took this stance that was directly against government. Yes. And that was on the issue of slavery. Hmm. You know, and not really a, a 
an easy position to take mm -hmm. for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, but they realized that what the authorities had said was law was wrong. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely immoral. It was unethical. And, and so the church leaders, the pioneers said, it is right in this particular case to go against authority. Yeah. That's a scriptural principle yeah. uh, to follow. And I think that we can follow that still today. I, I think when we see things happen, uh, perhaps at, at the local church level, perhaps on, on different levels of the, of the church, when we see things that go against Scripture, I think it's right to speak out against them. Mm -hmm. You've got to be careful how you do that, though. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one person that comes to mind, this was something that I studied, was um, uh, A.T. Jones. Uh, you know, we think of him uh, with the 1888 General Conference. But one of the things that we miss is that he had a lot to do with religious liberty. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the 1800s, he stood before Congress, before Senator Blair, and he said, man, you're trying to put these Sunday laws into place. You're trying to force us to worship on Sunday. And that goes against our convictions. And even though authority was trying to put these laws into place, mm -hmm. A.T. Jones got up front and confronted it, which I think was the right thing to do. But A.T. Jones got out of control. Yeah. And he began to tell Adventists, hmm. not only are you to not work on Saturday, but you're to blatantly work in their faces on Sunday. And, and, and the leaders of the church, including Ellen White, made it very clear to Mr. Jones that that was not the right way to go against authority, that he was doing the right thing to go against authority, but that he had taken it a step too far. So we got to be careful yeah. how far we take our position. Yeah. You go to, to, to the Pauline literature, you see Paul counseling us that we should, uh, if we obey the government in things that are not against God's will, we avoid trouble. I mean, we're not going to get into jail because there is an authority. And there's power there. And now, why are you going to disobey if there's nothing wrong with the law? Hmm. So you disobey just because if you obey, you're disobeying God. Hmm. If your obedience to your government is disobedience to God, then you disobey the government and obey God. But if your disobedience to the government has nothing to do with obedience to God, why are you disobeying? That's right. hmm. So uh, I, you avoid trouble as well. I believe we need to remember that uh, Jesus says no one goes through the Father except through me. Mm -hmm. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe that quote really exemplifies leadership and his entire ministry. And when we look, and you brought up John C. Maxwell, he says leadership is a, a leader who, who knows the way, goes the way, and then shows the way. But we see that with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And he did it even when it came in opposing the laws of the land. Mm -hmm. And there were times he had adhered to the laws of the land, mm -hmm. but it was necessary to know your core values, which, which is embedded in the foundation, the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, His Father, uh, our Heavenly Father, God Himself. And politics, man, it's, it's, it's there. You know, there's a saying, wherever there are people, there are politics. <laughs> so even in the Bible, we see a rift between uh, Christianity and politics. If we go back into the Old Testament, you're talking about the Egyptians. You brought it up during the slavery. And when you said it about A.T. Jones, I couldn't help but go back to the book of Exodus where it was politics really that enslaved the people. They were a multitude of people that could have overpowered the government. But they were so used to following in line because they didn't have a true leader. They were enforced with politics, but not politics and the good of the people. And the good of the people is not based on citizenship, 
but all the people of the land, those that dwell in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just amazing how this, this topic just strikes because as we prepare ourselves to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom, the question I have for you is how, how are we preparing to be earthly citizens here in Jesus' name? Because it's essential. Because if eternity begins now, then we must be faithful stewards from now. And I'm looking heavenward. We have to be very careful, especially in the last days as we prepare for persecution. As the Bible speaks in Revelation, we have to be very careful when it comes to the law. Because there's going to be a hammer on the nail and you have to be prepared to stand. And we have to know that, hey, God, if he persecuted for us, he was persecuted for us. We must also be persecuted with him as well. And so we must be careful of politics, uh, trying to sway our decisions to do and, uh, and be something that we're not. I believe sometimes a lot of people are influenced in the, long, or in the wrong direction, all because they're following the majority of the people. Influential leadership can sometimes be just that person coming to you. And, you know, I've always been told that power really resides or influence resides on starting from one conversation to the next. And then it carries. If, if it's a vision, a mission, objective. And when I see God sending his son, Jesus Christ, one entity, and then he deals with 12 disciples. If you want to call it discipleship, fine. I see that his greatest influence was on the 12. But those 12 influenced what? 300, then 500, and then what? 3,000. And before you knew it, Christianity dwelt. I mean, it was because of the example of Jesus Christ. We can see the difference between politics, because he wasn't a Pharisee. He was born to, what, Mary in a manger. Mm -hmm. Could have been born to a Pharisee or much less someone who had uh, church connections, put it that way. But Jesus knew his intention here on earth, and his intention was to be influential not to enforce his power, because if there's anyone who had the right, it was him himself. And not to stray away, I want to ask you, what can a church do? No, I'm sorry. What can a church do to minister to those in government without seeming party affiliated? I think you, one thing that we should do is if we go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, gives us uh, a good counsel here. One thing we should do for everybody, including the people who are in power. First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2, uh, then here Paul says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayer, prayers, mm. intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. One thing that the church should do is pray for the leaders. That's hmm. one of the things that we should do. But also share with them our message. Oh, but sometimes, how are you going to get to them? Some people in our churches are in positions that they can indeed get to them. Yeah. But also, we can get to them by our example, making a difference in society. We don't need necessarily to be in front of the politician like Paul was in front of Agrippa. And Agrippa basically said, well, you almost... You almost converted me. Guys, we're out of time. I'm sure this is a more condensed discussion we can get ourselves into. It's been great having you guys here at Sabbath School University. And if you would like to join in the discussion, visit our Facebook page off the link of our website at www. 
sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. For Sabbath School University, I'm Brendan Albury. We'll see you next week.